Ah, oh, that band, they're good, aren't they? Makes it easy to vacuum the floors on Wednesday nights when they're, uh, when they're rehearsing. I don't like coming up here when they're not here, so I have to turn it off, though, when, the, you know, when they stop to talk about stuff. I have to turn it off because I distract them. Um, anybody recognize uh, this picture right here? Not the one there. It's coming up. Caught him. Vegas. Vegas. Yeah, y'all are good. It took us a long time to find a Vegas picture that didn't have something inappropriate for Sunday morning church. Um, even in the picture of the city, it's kind of bad to do that. 30 million people visit Las Vegas every year. 850 flights a day. Why is it so popular? Gambling, money, sin city, you name all of those things. As a percentage of people who visit the city, just guess how many actually gamble. Percentage. 40%? You are way low. 87% of the people who go there gamble, and probably the other 13% are lying. But anyway, 87% go there to gamble. Now, what, what is the big deal about gambling? Charles Barkley came out this week. I don't know if you're a sports fan, but he came out and said he's lost $10 million gambling. And he said, I like gambling. I'm not going to quit gambling. I just got to get it under control. He said, when I play poker, I need to do $10,000 hands instead of, I mean, $1,000 hands instead of $10,000 hands. And he said, then I'll be all right. John Daly, the golfer, came out and said that he's lost $60 million gambling. Michael Jordan, anyway, we won't even go there. We, these people have a problem with gambling. What's, what is the big deal about gambling? When you gamble, you risk something. I guess it's the excitement. Man, I work way too hard for my money. There is nothing exciting about the thought of losing my money. I just, I cannot understand that. Even, even slots, I couldn't do that because I, that's money that I'm throwing away there. Well, a lot of people visit Las Vegas every year, but infinitely more people visit Lust Vegas. Lots and lots of people spend their time there. And during this series, we've talked about a lot about people rolling the dice and gambling, trying to beat the house when it comes to sex. And what's the most important lesson you can ever learn about, um, about gambling when it comes to the house? The house, y'all learned it. The house always wins, and none of y'all learned that by experience. You learned that from someone else's experience. You know, we won't go there. Um, the house always wins. Why do you think it's so stinking profitable for these places in Las Vegas? Because they win. Sure, you might get 1% or actually less than 1% of people that win. You think about the 99.9% .9 of people that are just throwing their money away. It is a very lucrative business for them, not for you. You're throwing your money away, and lots of people gamble. They, um, they, they try to beat the odds when it comes to sex. And, and I'm going to tell you this. When you take a God-given desire and you try to use it in a God-forbidden way, you will lose always because the house always wins. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, the temptation, the temptation is just so strong. I couldn't do it. Uh, I just couldn't help myself. You don't understand. I couldn't help myself. Well, is that true? Couldn't help yourself? Well, it depends. I don't know if you've read any of those stories about moms having superhuman feats of strength whenever their children were in trouble. One particular instance I read about, true story, mom was driving down the road and she gets hit by a drunk driver and her car flips wildly into this ditch. When she regains consciousness, she begins looking around frantically for her six-year-old daughter. Can't find her, gets out of the car and realizes her six-year-old is trapped under the back wheels of the car. Now, I, when I read this story, I'm thinking of my children. Hannah's six years old. I'm thinking of Hannah being stuck underneath the wheels. 
And the mom looks around, nobody's there to help. And so what does she do? She goes back and lifts up the car and pulls her, her daughter to safety. Unbelievable superhuman strength. But it was her baby. She had to do something. And uh, uh, limits of strength are usually far beyond what we think. You know, it, until we are pushed to the limit, we really don't know what our limits of strength are. Um, I don't know if you've ever done track and field or race or any of that type of stuff. Even our endurance limits are far what we think they are. I'll give you an example. My children, we've gotten into riding our bikes. And uh, there's this driveway called Rainbow Road on our, on our street, you know, because it looks like a rainbow. And that's what we call it, Rainbow Road. Well, we were doing these races the other day. And first we were doing it against the clock, and that wasn't fun enough. So we decided to race against each other. And, and uh, Caleb and Rachel are racing. So because he's a couple years older than her, you know, he's about a foot taller than her, we staggered it, you know, much like you would in a regular race to make it even. So they take off to Rainbow Road, and Rachel cannot... She is not a competitive person until it comes to her brother. And this, this wild, demon-like possession comes over her. Because people are like, no, Rachel's so sweet. Not when she's competing against Caleb. So she goes up Rainbow Road, comes, here comes Caleb. Man, he's riding because he wants to beat his sister and she's riding. And he actually takes the lead and he's getting kind of cocky. You can see him getting cocky. All of a sudden, Rachel, face contorted, every muscle in her body rippling. She starz grunting and groaning. I'm, I'm not kidding you. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen until she gets even with him. Then he's straining, she's straining. It was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. She did not know she even had that extra gear. And Caleb was like, dude, my sister's pretty tough. I said, yeah, she is. Little gymnast. She's got muscles everywhere. She didn't even know she had that extra gear until she was in competition, until she was pushed to the limit by her brother. And that's the whole thing I want you to realize is limits aren't really limits until they're pushed to the limit until you understand what those limits are. And... Um, When it comes to sin, most of us sin simply because we finally just give up. We say, oh, it's just too strong. I just, I just can't stand it. But suppose, suppose some angel dressed as, as, you know, a wealthy businessman comes up and he's, he's got this roll of $100 bills. Yeah, listen to y'all. I should have waited for the hundreds. Sit down. Um, suppose this angel shows up. At the very moment that you're going to give in to sin, has a whole roll of $100 bills. And he says, if you can hold out 10 more minutes, I'll gladly give you 10 of these. And for every minute you withstand that temptation over that, I'll give you another $100 bill up to a million bucks. Deal or no deal? Deal. I don't know about you, but I would suddenly find a whole other gear of resistance to temptation because all of a sudden I'm going to have a new motivation. Well, that's the whole point. Sometimes we just give in. Now, today I want to focus on a guy who was pushed to the limits. Um, but he left Las Vegas. Now, you got to understand a little bit about this guy. I got to tell you some background before we actually get into reading the Bible verses because this dude was was uh from a family like you would not believe. Now, this is all in the Bible, but but you can do some studying. His dad had four wives. Two of the wives were sisters and they were fiercely competitive. So competitive that, that at times they would even buy the services of their husband at night. Well, you had him last night. I want him this night. So, you know, here's how much. And, and one of the wives even went out and told him, I have bought you for the night. I mean, this is a bad. I'm thinking, don't ever marry more than one wife. It is, that is not wise. Um, anyway, 
So, with all this competition, he was one of 13 children. There was a constant jealousy, strife. There was even incest in this family. Alright, you got the idea? Dysfunctional. They put the dis in functional. Alright? So don't think that, you know, he came from this super spiritual background. He came from an incredibly dysfunctional family. And on top of that, his father made a huge parenting blunder. I want you to watch this little clip. This is a VeggieTales clip based on the life of this character. And I want you to see what the parenting blunder was. <laughs> Not so fast, fellas. Before we eat, I have a special announcement. I think we all know that today is Little Joe's birthday. Baked it myself. All together. parenting blunder favoritism now I love veggie tales I've got most of them memorized because my kids grew up on veggie tales but in real life that's what he did he played favoritism with this one because he was the firstborn of the wife he loved the most and everybody knew it I mean this was a jacked up family and um his brothers got jealous, as you can imagine, and eventually what they do is they take this special robe. Joseph got a, a, a coat of many colors, this special robe. They took it off and they threw him in a pit. They put blood on it and they come running back to his father and they say, Oh, Dad, Dad, it's, it's a terrible thing. Joseph's been eaten by wild animals. His dad goes through the mourning process thinking that his favorite son is dead. What happened? Well, he wasn't dead. They were lying. They put him in the pit until some traveling gypsies come by heading to Egypt and they sell him to those gypsies. What are the gypsies going to do? They're going to take him to Egypt and they're going to sell him there. Now, get to Egypt. Godless society. Now, when I say that, I've been saying that a lot lately because we've been studying the Old Testament characters, Samson a couple of weeks ago. We're talking about going to godless societies. When I say that, I'm not saying that they're not spiritual. They are very spiritual, but the gods they serve are lowercase g. There's only one uppercase G, God, all right? So when I say godless, that means the society does not believe in one true God as revealed um, in the Old Testament through all the things God did through, through the, the Jewish nation in the New Testament as revealed through Jesus Christ. They had lots of spiritual things. They, uh, they had idols, every kind of idol you can imagine, temple prostitutes, wife swapping. This was a godless, pagan-worshipping society. And, uh, and here comes... Joe into this. Now, even though his family was whacked, Joe had learned about the true God. He'd been taught the Scriptures. At this point, the only Scriptures were the Old Testament. Um, 
And so he had learned those. He knew that God loved him, knew that God had a purpose for him. This young man, Joseph, was pure and God had already begun to prepare him for leadership. And do you know who, who bought him? He was sold to the highest bidder in Egypt. You know who bought him? Potiphar. P. Diddy. <laughs> we talked about all the different names. What's he, is he just going by Diddy now? P. That's what he ought to go. Never mind. Um, Puff Daddy, P. Diddy. P. Diddy bought him. Now, you've got to understand, P. Diddy was like high up in the ranks of the Egyptian society. He was in charge of, of the armed forces. And so if you were to go to his house, imagine Joe. Joe comes from 13 children, four wives, shepherds. You know, they're like the lowest of society. They're so low that the Egyptians wouldn't even give them the time of day, wouldn't even count them as persons. He comes to P. Diddy's house, his mansion. Imagine walking into P. Diddy's house, his crib. You know, um, they had that show, Cribs. Imagine walking into P. Diddy's crib in Egypt. All right? You can see the Sphinx statues over here. You can see the incredible columns, not like our columns that are covered up. We had to cover these up because these were hideous. But they, these incredible columns, they had these plush rugs on the floor. Even the finest china. You know, here comes Joseph into this society, into this house, into this mansion. And then P. Diddy's wife, Miss Egypt, 500 B.C. Talk about wife candy. This dude had it all. And here was Joseph in this deal. All right. She was awesome. Now we pick up the story in Genesis 39, 3 and 4. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Now, just go stop right there and say this. Joseph did not wear an NLCCP T-shirt or forgiveness, the real F word T-shirt. You know, any we've had like four or five different shirts now. We're going to do another one for our for your birthday coming up at the end of June. And you can you can buy another shirt. He didn't have the uh, follow me to NLCC uh, bumper sticker on his chariot. It's just his his master saw that he was a hard worker, that he was a man of integrity. He saw that the Lord was with him. And because of that, look what happens. Verse 4, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar was in, put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. Because of his work ethic, because of, of his love of the Lord, his integrity, this young Jew is now running P. Diddy's mansion. Now, if you read on in, in, this, in the Scripture, you'll find out that the only thing that Potiphar concerned himself with every day was what he was going to eat for dinner. That's the only concern he had because Joseph was such a good worker. And uh, life was good for P. Diddy. Life was good for Joseph. Now, we're going to learn three things from Joseph's life today that I hope will help you leave Las Vegas. Um, the first, there are three R's. The first R is this. Realize the greater the blessing, the greater the temptation. Greater the blessing, the greater the temptation. The more you're walking with God, the more the evil one is going to ratchet up the temptation to try to bring you down. Now, I heard a pastor say that when you are climbing the ladder of success, very rarely does someone give in to sexual temptation. He said it's only when you get on top of the ladder that someone gives in to sexual temptation. And, and if you think about that, that, that happens a lot. When you are trying to work your way up the corporate ladder, when you are trying to get a business established, when you're trying to start a church, it seems like the temptation isn't so great. But when you get to the top of the ladder, what happens? You don't have the support system anymore, 
and it becomes a difficult thing. Now, you've all climbed a ladder, right? Hello? Participation. Thank you. Now, right here, this isn't too bad. See, my, my problem is I've painted a lot of houses. I've done a lot of stuff. And, and it says, danger, do not stand or sit up here. You think I've, I've heeded that warning? It says over here, not a step. Anybody ever uh, not heeded that warning? <laughs> I've done it, because. but what happens when you get up here? And you go over here and you do this. What, what? If I put all my weight there, what's going to happen? I am going to fall so hard. What ha- yeah, he's like, do it, do it. Come on, man, make it a memorable sermon illustration. Yeah, thank you for the love. Just need a little bit more. Now, here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. When you become successful, Satan wants to pull you down. And when you're up here on the ledge, you don't have all that support, so it becomes much easier to pull you down. You have to concentrate when you're on top of the ladder. When you have success, you have to concentrate on your purpose. Your purpose should be to get back down safely. But, but that may not be what you... God has called you to do something. And maybe God is testing you and allowing you to, be, to go through some tough times in your life to find out if you can be trusted. Joseph was one that was tested at every turn and he proved faithful through those tests. So God gave him greater responsibilities after that. Now, God wants to bless you. He has greatness in store for you. And that's why Satan wants you to fall. Now, um, he wants to get you off purpose. And, and I want to tell you just real quickly about um, Gary Chapman has written this book called The Five Love Languages. Just don't take it too far. I'll use it again. The Five Love Languages. And in there, he talks about the tingles. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this. There's a video in the, in the book, The Five Love Languages. And then there's a video about the five love languages. And he talks about the tingles. Let me just quickly explain the tingles. The tingles go something like this. Let's say you see someone of the opposite sex and they are pleasing in your sight. And you go, whoa, they are pleasing in my sight. <laughs> That's the tingles. Everyone, you're laughing because you know. You see somebody, you go, whoo Now, the tingles happen too. They ratchet up just a little bit. When that person looks at you and you interpret their look at you as, whoa. They are pleasing in my sight. Then you're like, yeah, I still got it. I remember after Janie and I got married. See, I told her, I I came in the other day. I said, I even have a tan line where my ring goes. You know, I've been fishing a lot. So she goes, good. And I said, yeah, like I need that. You know, like like lots of women are hitting on me or something. I said, you know, oh, I got a tan line. I'm taking I, I said, I don't have to worry about that anymore. But I remember when we first got married. We were, <laughs> I took some teenagers down to uh, Astroworld and, and, you know, we're going around and you see all these different people and, and the guys are hitting on the girls. I remember that when I was in the teenager, you know, you're always trying to, to find somebody and, and you like it when somebody looks back. And I told Jane, I actually called her right after this happened because go all day and this is, it had been years since anybody even noticed me and smiled at me or whatever. And this one cute girl looks at me, smiles and then looks down and sees my ring and just kind of went like that and walked off and I said, yeah. So I called Jay. I said, guess what? <laughs> she didn't think that was so cool. But I, I thought it was kind of cool because somebody liked me. You know, and it feels good when somebody is attracted to you. Now, the tingles are not sin. The tingles are not lust. 
Lust happens whenever you let that tingle get to somewhere else. Lust happens when, when a God-given desire goes haywire. When, um, when an attraction transitions into an illicit action, either mentally, physically, emotionally. That's when lust happens. And uh, we're going to see some of this going on in Joseph's life. Let's get back to the Bible here. Genesis 39, 6. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Now, in the Hebrew, these words mean that Joseph was well-built and handsome. Okay? You, you would, he was a stud. He was ripped. He was buff. Whatever you want to say. And this is real important because rarely will you be attracted or will you, will you get the tingles for somebody that you're not attracted to. You see somebody that doesn't do anything for you? There's no tingles going on. You know where the hair on the back of your neck stands up? Now, tingles, again, we've been saying this for weeks. Tingles are not lust. You're going to notice people of the opposite sex. We were sitting out here, Global Night Commute last week, and we're, we actually, uh, Casey and I walk out in the hallway because they're not sleeping. I woke up, it's like 5 o'clock in the morning. We're just waiting until daylight so we can go home and take a shower and come back to church. So we're out here talking, and then Jason comes out there, we're talking. We got down to the little landing there, and we just sat down. We were too tired to go anywhere or do anything, so we just sat down talking. Well, then <laughs> Alexis and Danae come out, and they're like, you are some weird kind of guys. But they sat down with us, and they, we all started having this talk. And we were talking about this whole lust thing that, that's, that we've been going through as a church. And uh, Danae was talking about different movies that, that they like. And she goes, yeah, Jason, I've accused him of only... Only renting those movies that have Diane Lane. And she says it like that. Diane Lane. And then she starts explaining to me who Diane Lane is as if I don't know. And I go, oh, I know who Diane Lane is. And she goes, oh, you men are all alike. And then there was just this pause. And you see her thinking. You see the wheels turning. And she gets this little look in her eye. And she goes, of course, I'm the same way about Antonio Banderas. And I said, yeah, man, you're talking trash on us. And... See, she, only, she doesn't care what the movie says. She doesn't even care if it's in Spanish. If it's got Antonio Banderas, she's going to watch. Doesn't have a clue. But there, no, I'm just, I added that last part. I'm sorry. I took that too far. Now, you're going to notice people of the opposite sex. Noticing is not lust. So you've got to understand where to draw the line. Now, Potiphar's wife noticing Joseph, that is not a big deal. But lust happened when it went haywire. And let's look at that. Uh... She jumped on the Lust Superhighway. She had bug eyes. I want you to see this little video clip right here. You'll remember bug eyes if you watch this clip. You think he had the tingles. Actually, he'd gone way past the tingles. So she had bug eyes. Potiphar's wife had bug eyes. He had mobile eyes. We talked about this a few weeks ago. If you need to get that message, go online. You can get that message and, and download it. Now, the second R is this. All right. When the tingles happen, that's not lust. If you're not careful, though, it'll become lust. So you've got to learn the second R. The second R is refocus on your purpose. Refocus on your purpose. To defeat lust, you have to have mobile eyes. You can't let your gaze linger on someone other than your spouse for any length of time or you will cross over into lust. It's going to happen. A friend of mine 
Whenever he goes to Hurricane Harbor, I remember doing this back years ago in youth ministry. We went together, we took our youth group, and, and he took his contacts off at uh, Hurricane Harbor. And I'm like, dude, you're blind as a bat. And I'm, I'm almost leading him around. And, and he goes, yeah, man. I said, why do you want to do that? And he goes, because I can't handle looking at other women. It was an inconvenience, but he said, man, I don't even want to go there. So if you're blind <laughs> and you're at Hurricane Harbor, you don't have trouble with lust. I thought that was pretty impressive. Verse 8. All right, she, said, she notices him very subtly. She says, come to bed with me. Now, look down at verse 8. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. Now, this one's on your listening guide. I want you to circle that word entrusted. This is a big deal. Entrusted. What was Joseph's purpose in the household? What was his job? Take care of everything. And so what that means is stewardship. The concept of stewardship. Every person here has gifts and abilities. Where do those gifts and abilities come from? Who gave them to you? God. God gave you gifts and abilities. And He is going to hold you accountable for those things that He has given you. What He desires is He wants you to give those gifts and talents back to Him in the most developed fashion possible as an act of worship. And what we say around here is whatever you are good at, you need to be doing in the church. Finding your gifts and abilities, finding what you're good at is one clue to your purpose in life, why you were put here on this earth. God has given us all kinds of things to steward. He's given us relationships. You have family. Every one of you has a mom and a dad. You may not have a good relationship with them, but you were given relationships. Many of you have spouses. You have children. You have brothers. You have sisters. God expects us to be good stewards of the things that He's given to us, of those relationships. God has given each one of us a certain amount of money. Some of us, somebody's like, oh, I knew this was coming. Some of us, we have this little small pile of money. Some of us have a little bit larger pile of money. God has given it to us, and it's a test. He wants to see how we're going to handle that stuff. The Bible says over and over, if you are faithful in small things, God will give you more things. I am not preaching prosperity gospel. I'm not saying if you'll sow a seed of $100, God will give you $10,000 and you too may drive a Lexus. I am not saying that. What I'm saying is God is testing us all the time to see if we're going to be good stewards of things He's given us. Here's a clue that your money is not your money. When you die, who gets it? Whoever's left... <laughs> And if you don't have it designated in a will and you have no living heirs, the state, Uncle Sam gets it. You don't get to take it with you. It doesn't belong to you. The house that you supposedly own, the land that you supposedly own, when you die, if your children don't want it, who, who gets it? The state or they sell it. Something, you know, something's going to happen. That is not your land. God has entrusted some things to you and He's testing you. He just lets you manage it for a while. We've been given the local church. And we're going to be held accountable. We say that the local church is the hope of the world. Did we, and God's going to ask this question, did we stay our distance from the local church or did we orbit our lives around it? That's the question God's going to ask. We're going to be held accountable for those decisions that we make. Sexuality is a gift from God. And we're to steward it wisely. God desires greatness for us in the sexual area. And the only way to achieve greatness in this area is to do things God's way. Designer sex, designer sex is one man, one woman, 
in a committed marriage relationship within the protective guardrails of marriage for a lifetime. And you see, Joseph understood stewardship, and so because he understood stewardship, some other things happened. Let's look at verse 10. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Many folks have read this verse and missed it, and I do not want you to miss it. You know, you can look at it and say, oh, this happened very quickly. It was over with. Not a big deal. But scholars say that she probably tempted him daily for ten years. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Miss Egypt, 500 B.C., says, go to bed with me. Lie with me. Day after day for ten years. And the dude refused. It says he refused to even be with her. Joseph understood stewardship. He said, the only thing in this household that my master has kept for me is you. Because he has entrusted me with this task. How in the world did homeboy resist temptation for ten years? Was it his power? No. It was the power of God living inside of him. Um, the octane, the power of God only comes to people who live close to God. And see, this was another test. Joseph was sold into slavery, but immediately his master saw that he was trustworthy. He saw the Lord working with him, so he was moving up the ladder. And Satan did not want Joseph to get to that next rung, so he tries to pull him down. Well, what happens? Um, Joe didn't allow lust to get leverage in his life. Verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Dude was just doing his job. And uh, you got to realize when it comes to lust, we always have to be on guard. I got to tell you, it's got to be real honest here. Affairs, we call them affairs, but really the Bible calls it adultery. Adultery usually happens with people that we know. Very often it happens with friends. And here's something that you, you really need to do. You want to talk about protective guardrails? If you have a good friend that you spend a lot of time with, Never relate to the spouse of your friend without your, your friend around. Um, we have some boundaries that, that in our church and just in my personal life that I have gone through for years. I'll never ride in the car with someone who is not my spouse or my child without somebody else there. Years ago in youth ministry, Alex used to stay after all the time when we'd have an event because there's always somebody, parents don't come pick them up. Alex would stay with me, and then if, if the parents never would show up, we'd go get the church van, and we'd take those, those kids home. And Alex stayed in order to protect my integrity. He was his brother's keeper in, in that instance. Um, so we will never associate with somebody. I'll never counsel another man's wife without my wife present or without that other man present. There was one time we had a meeting, and um, I was the first one here. We had it here. I don't even remember why we had it here for some reason. And Ann shows up to the meeting. She's the second one. She stays downstairs in the car. And it's kind of funny because um, I went out a couple of times tell her. And I'm calling. I mean, I'm paranoid. I, when something like this happens, I'm paranoid. So I'm calling, trying to get a hold of Alex. Dude, where are you? You need to get her. Wes, you know, because Wes was coming to that meeting too. Wes, dude, get yourself here. And, and Ann stays out in the car. And finally she goes, I'm sorry, you know, I'm just not coming in the building. And I said, you are a wise woman. And we laughed about it. I said, that is the right thing to do. She said, I just want people, if they drive by, I'm here. You know, anybody is a witness that I'm out here. I am not in the building alone with you. And you say, that may be overkill. Well, it is not overkill. 
We were watching Shark Week last night, and we were talking about this one guy goes, Oh, you don't get bit by sharks. you got a greater chance of being struck by lightning than being bit by a shark. And I said, Not if you don't go in the water. I know 100% guarantee how I cannot be bit by a shark. I don't go in the water. Now, I'm going to, but you know, you understand what I'm saying. So, you need to have some serious boundaries around you because it's usually a coworker, it's usually a friend's spouse, it's somebody that you know that you develop the tingles with and you begin to relate to them without their spouse or without your spouse and you begin to share things that you should not share and your hearts begin to connect and it is a short step until you commit adultery and you sin and you will fall off the ladder. Now, let's look at the third R. Know when to retreat. Just put run. I should have put this. Just run. Know when to run. Genesis 39, 12. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. <laughs> but he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. You heard that Kenny Rogers song? Know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Now, in college, I had the purest roommate I've ever, purest guy I've ever known. One time a friend of mine showed him a pornographic picture just to see how he would react because the guy never cussed, never said a harsh word about anybody. Showed him a pornographic picture and Brian Richardson walks over to his desk. There were three of us in this, in this dorm room at, at Baylor. He walks over, gets his Bible out, starts reading the Bible frantically, closes his eyes and begins praying. And later, whenever nobody else is in the room, I'm like, dude, what in the world? He goes, man, I cannot focus on something like that. He said, so I wanted to focus on God and ask God to just... Erase my memory to delete, delete button. And, and I've never forgotten that. Now, I, I tell you that because you got to understand, Brian always was reading his Bible, always praying, incredible guy, studied like crazy. Dude would be studying when I'm in bed, you know. He'd be studying when I'm out. I almost lost my scholarship my first year at Baylor because, you know, so many women, so little time, you know. I, anybody call, let's play Let's play tennis. Let's go jogging. Whatever. I didn't care, man. School, forget that. And I almost, almost lost all the scholarships, which means I would have been out of uh, college. Well, Brian never went to sleep before us, but on those rare occasions that he did, the dude slept harder than anybody I've ever seen. He would begin to talk in his sleep. And so he would say things and we'd begin to carry on conversations. I have not ever seen that. Now, my daughter, Rachel, she'll, she'll talk gibberish. You go in there, sometimes I'll kiss her and she'll go... And Janie and I will jack with her. Janie will go in and say, the roach ate the watermelon. And Richard goes, no, not Brian. Brian would hold, hold conversations with you. And then he'd lay down and go back to sleep. And the next morning we'd say, hey, man, did you have a dream last night? And he'd go, yeah. And we'd say, was it about so-and-so? And he'd go, yes. How'd you know? Dude, you're telling us. Well, we were pretty ornery when we were freshmen in college. And so one night he goes to sleep and, and I knew all about his past. And my other roommate was good friends with him. So we knew all of this stuff. Well, we decide to pretend that I'm Paula, his girlfriend. So what I do is I go and I get this cotton ball and I run some hot water on it. And, I, and he's on the top bunk. So I'm on this chair and I start running the cotton ball on his ear. And I'm pretending that I'm Paula licking his ear. All right. Now, Brian's never had anything like this happen to him before in his life. He's kissed her, you know, and held her hand and all that stuff, but he's, he's not ever had... And he's, he goes, he sits straight up in bed, eyes wide open, and he goes, what are you doing? And I said, it's all, it's all right, sweetie, it's just me, Paula. And, and he goes, I mean, his eyes are... He goes, Paula? And I lost it, I'm laughing. And so I lean over to Rick, my other roommate, and I said, does Paula have a, have a pet? And he goes, yeah, she's got a dog named Gidget. 
And I said, man, we're going for this deal. So I, I said, I said, Brian, here's Gidget. And I kind of hit him right here in his hip with my hand. And he goes, Gidget? And, and I said, why don't you pet her? Homeboy starts rubbing my hand. Rick and I fall off the chairs. We're in the floor laughing. We said, this is too good to keep to ourselves. So we run out in the hallway and we find anybody that's in the hallway still awake. We're actually knocking on doors, pulling guys out of bed. You've got to see this. Got to see. We eventually have 12 guys in the room. All of us on chairs so we can see Brian real clearly. And so my roommate, my future roommate, Doug, lived across the hall. This guy was nuts. He used to talk in a list to Brian. He'd say, Brian, you're so sexy. And Brian would go, stop it, Doug. I mean, he'd get freaked out. He'd start praying against him, you know, trying to cast out demons and stuff. And uh, Doug would actually walk up to him and he'd say, Brian, I like your tushy. And he would grab his rear and Brian would slap him. And, you know, they're almost duking it out. Well, then I'm not kidding. Brian would run up and down the hallway. You know, somebody new would come in and, and they're like, what's going on? Because you hear Brian go, Wah! runs by the door, you know, the Doppler effect. Wah! And then Doug's going behind him, Brian. And I said, oh, man, just blow that off because Doug's nuts. And, and Brian would really freak out. Well, Doug comes in and he goes, he goes, dude, get out of the way. He knocks me out of the chair. He goes, I want to be Paula. <laughs> so, so he starts rubbing Brian on the chest. And, uh, and I'm going, man, you are way out there, dude. And he start, and, and he's going, Brian, what are you? Oh, he's going, Paul, what are you doing? And, and, and Doug's going, I just can't keep my hands off of you, Brian. And he's like, Paula, you need to calm down. And, and Doug goes, he says, he goes, watch this. He goes, Brian, can I get in bed with you? And Brian goes, no. He goes, why not? I can't resist you. Why not? And, and he kept saying, no, Paula, no, stop, stop. Well, Doug just decides to go for it, starts crawling in bed with Brian. Brian knocks him out of bed, sits straight up and goes, No! First Corinthians, flee from sexual sin! Twelve guys fall on the floor laughing. I have never seen someone quote Scripture in their sleep before. Next day we're telling him about it, you know, and he's going, Oh, y'all don't know about my dream. We said, Was Paula there? Was Gidget there? Did she try to get in bed with you? And he's going... Now, I tell you that because... Joseph did what Brian did. Brian quoted Scripture. That's amazing to me in his sleep. Joseph did that. He ran. My freshman year at college, we had a philosophy class. And one of these girls was saying, sometimes you can't help having sex. And I, I remember saying, well, that's not what my daddy told me. I can't tell you what my daddy told me. But basically, it, it involved not getting in those positions, you know, something like that. And so I said, you couldn't help it? So what I've been telling people since then is, if you run... I mean, run. Miles. Literally. I've never seen anyone give in to the tingles and give in to lust when they're running a marathon. Or right after they finish the marathon. Literally run. Get busy running. Get yourself out of that situation. Now, have you ever thought about why sexual sin leaves us isolated, leaves us lonely, leaves us with guilt and shame? Have you ever thought about that? It's because sex is a God thing. And you cannot do a God-given gift in a God-forbidden way and expect to have success, happiness, anything in your life. So I have a question for you today as we finish up. Who is Potiphar's wife in your life? Could be a spouse of a friend. Could be a website. Could be a club. Could be a pornographic magazine. Who is Potiphar's wife in your life? Now, 
when are you going to quit um, trying to hide things, come clean, and get some help? Joseph was falsely accused. He was thrown into jail for this deal with Potiphar's wife. But in jail, the jailer saw that God was with him. And he, he became captain of the inmates. <laughs> Everywhere he went, people saw that God was with him. Eventually, homeboy becomes second in the entire kingdom only to Pharaoh himself. Unbelievable what God did in his life. He walked up there, though. He kept going up the ladder because God found out he could be trusted. So many of us have been, have been unfaithful that God can't give us more. Who's Potiphar's wife in your life? Now, I want you to take uh, your registration cards, fill those out real quickly. And then on the back, I want you to do just a couple of things. Let me get the band to come back up here while we're doing this. They're going to play a song as we, at, after we dismiss. Fill that out. Now, on the back, here's what I want you to do. Scale of 1 to 10... I want you to write down whatever your area of struggle is. Not, not write it down. I don't, I don't want to know what your area of struggle is. But I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, I want you to put where your level of, of problem is. 1 is, I've got no problem with anything. 10 is, man, I'm really struggling in a certain area. And I will not, I'm not going to assume that it's sexual. I'm not going to assume that. All I'm going to do is going to pray for you. But 1 to 10, because Satan knows your area, you know your area that you always struggle in. Whatever it is, you know could be anger, could be lust, uh, you know, sexual lust, could be drugs, whatever it is. There's some area. Put a number down. And then let me tell you this. This, is, this may startle you. Whatever number you write down. Have you all written down a number? Because I don't want to tell you this until after you've written it down. Whatever number you wrote down, your struggle in that area is probably at least double what you wrote down. We asked Jason last week what his struggle with pornography was. When he was in the middle of it, he said, it's probably a two. Now that he looks back, he said, oh, dude, it was a ten. It had control. Now, the other thing I want you to do is I want you to think about giving your life to Christ. Can y'all see, uh, see this? How much is this worth? Worth how much? How much is it worth now? Anybody want it? No, no, you can't have it. <laughs> this is Janie's. I told her I'd give it back to her. You can't have it. Here's the point. You're valuable in the eyes of God no matter what you've done. And so I want to ask you to consider wherever you are. Maybe you need to come back to God. Maybe this is the first time you've given your life to God. Close your eyes and I want you to consider praying this prayer. God... Here's my heart. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So in your mind, just pray, God, here's my heart. If you just prayed that, I want you to write that on the back of your card. We always try to do something, um, give you something to do right at the end of the service. Write that, God, here's my heart. Father, thank you for a chance to study something that affects all of our lives, whether we want to admit it or not. Give us the power to overcome it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.